Amen. Hey, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. This will be the last time I ask you to open to Acts 13. We are continuing our study through the book of Acts, and we're going to be finishing a three-part look at a study I've titled, or a series of studies I've titled, Preaching and Persecution in Pisidian Antioch, which we're covering in Acts 13, verses 14 through 52. But in part three today, we're going to be studying verses 42 through 52. But just for some context, we've spent the last two studies, two Sundays, studying the first recorded sermon of the Apostle Paul as he preached in a synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, which was in the region of Galatia in Asia Minor, which is the western half of modern-day Turkey. The synagogue ruler asked them to bring a word of exhortation on a Sabbath day. Paul took that invitation as an opportunity from the Lord. He highlighted these different uh, moments and spans of time in Israel's history that served as a reminder to the people present of their need for a Savior. Then he exalted Jesus as that Savior who God had raised up from the seed of David. Then Paul shared the gospel message of Jesus, his death and burial and resurrection, preaching this word of salvation to the Jews and Gentiles in that synagogue. And, and he put a special emphasis on Jesus' resurrection because without the resurrection, the rest of it would be meaningless. If Jesus died, but then he stayed buried, none of his promises would be true for us because Jesus said that he would die he would be put in the grave, and three days later, he'd raise from the dead. Prophecy in Old Testament scripture pointed forward to the Messiah being uh, not left in the grave, not seeing corruption, as Paul pointed out. And those things were fulfilled in Jesus. Paul finished preaching his gospel message with a call of response that through Jesus is preached the forgiveness of sins. And that by Jesus, everyone who believes in him is justified. It's just a theological term meaning to be declared righteous in the sight of God. Something that the law of Moses could not do, Paul pointed out. Salvation, forgiveness of sins, justification in the eyes of God. They're, they're a gift of God's grace that can only be received by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul has extended that invitation out to both Jews and Gentiles. But Paul also gave a warning there at the end to these people that made it clear that they were now responsible for what they had heard. That those who despise, who treat the gospel with contempt, that think little of it, and who won't believe, who who reject Jesus and his gospel, that for those people, they will ultimately perish and be separated from God eternally in hell. The gospel has been shared. Their need for a, a savior has been revealed. And the good news about Jesus Christ has been declared. But now in these final verses of chapter 13, we're going to see the reactions to and the, the results of Paul's preaching. And so, with those things in mind, let's look at verses 42 and 43 as we pick up where we last left off. Verse 42 of Acts 13 
So it says, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. As Paul finished preaching and the synagogue gathering ended and the people began to leave, we now see this hunger. We see this desire in the Gentiles who had been present in that synagogue for the things of the Lord. Notice in verse 42, Luke writes that they begged, they begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. They wanted to know more about this Jesus that Paul had preached to them. So so they asked, and not just asked, they, they begged, they implored earnestly that Paul and Barnabas would come back the following Saturday and preach some more. But the example of these Gentiles here who begged to hear more preaching about Jesus, it made me think about me and about us. I want to ask us today, how's our hunger? You're like, well, I'm pretty hungry. I'm going to be ready to go grab some food across the street. I'm ready to grab my food out of my bag that I brought with me. I'm pretty hungry. In fact, talking about being hungry is making me more hungry. Yeah, that's true, right? But I'm not talking about physical hunger. Although... Physical hunger does paint a a picture for us that shows us things about our our greater and deeper spiritual hunger. I would ask us this morning, how's our hunger for the Lord? Are we truly passionate about Him? Is there a, a longing, is there a desire in our souls for more of Him? Is there a drive to to daily feast? upon his word, to seek him in prayer, to to spend time worshiping him. How's our hunger? You know, a loss of physical appetite can be a sign that something is off in our system. Sometimes a loss of appetite actually means that we're sick. But in the same way, a loss of spiritual appetite where we're not hungering or or thirsting for the Lord, we're not tasting and seeing that he's good, we're not feasting upon his word, which is what we're to live by. It shows that something is off in our souls. But sometimes that lack of hunger for the Lord is present because we've actually been feasting on, we've been seeking after other things instead of the Lord. You know, when we feast on the things of this world, have you ever noticed that it ruins your appetite for the things of the Lord? It ruins your appetite for the things of the Lord. It's like eating candy and then you feel sick afterwards and you you don't really desire the nutritious thing because you kind of have a sour stomach now because you just ate all your COVID snacks that you were preparing for the whole year. This is, I'm speaking of last year. We had our quarantine supply and then we finished it like in the first weekend. 
I don't think I've eaten more snacks and junk food in all of my life. It ruins your appetite. You feast on other things, lesser things. It can even be fine things. It might not even be sinful things. But when that's what's driving us, when, that, when that's what we are hungering for, it, it ruins our appetite for the, the right things, the best things, the things of Jesus. I see a lot of hunger. It's demonstrated in a lot of ways. There's a lot of desire for a lot of different things. But they're not the right things. But on the other hand, when we feast on the Lord, He will ruin our appetite for the things of this world in the best way possible and bring us true satisfaction and fulfillment. I love it that these, these people begged to hear more preaching. It's like, it'd be like us having a two-hour-long service, and then you guys are like, no, Jared, more! Keep going! I think after 15 minutes, sometimes people are ready to move on. <laughs> Cajon down. We see the hunger of these people for Jesus in, in how they begged to hear more about Jesus. But they didn't just ask them to come back because verse 44 tells us that after the synagogue gathering ended and everyone left, that many of the Jews and, and devout proselytes, which were Gentiles who had converted to Judaism, they followed Paul and Barnabas after leaving the synagogue. You know, to me, this shows that many of these Jews and Gentiles believed what Paul had preached about Jesus. They had received this word of salvation. They had experienced that forgiveness and justification that Paul had preached about. And they wanted to stick by these men who had led them to Jesus Christ so that they could learn more and grow more in Jesus. And so Paul and Barnabas, they persuaded them. And that word persuaded speaks of convincing or winning over. Persuading those who followed them, notice, to continue in the grace of God. And this was an important thing to persuade these people about as their lives before this had been all about what the law of Moses had required of them. But Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross had, had initiated and brought about a whole new covenant, a covenant of grace that they had entered into and needed to continue in. You know, it's important to, to know that Jesus didn't just save us by his grace, but that he wants his grace to be what we continue in as the, as the bedrock of our lives and relationship with him. This was an important message for these new Galatian believers in light of the fact that some in the churches of Galatia would end up not continuing in grace and actually become estranged from Jesus Christ. Check out what Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. 
In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 21, and chapter 5, verse 4, Paul in Galatians 1, 6 wrote to these Galatian believers later on. He said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And then in chapter 2, verse 21, he he reinforces by saying, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And then later in chapter 5, verse 4, he said, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. The, The struggle for these Galatian believers was going to be staying in that position of continuing in the grace of Jesus, especially as others were going to come in and tell them, you know what, yeah, it's fine that you believe in Jesus, but you also need to live by the law if you want to be right in God's sight. It was a a Jesus plus something else equals God's acceptance sort of message, which was not the gospel at all. If you have Jesus and you add something else, it's not the gospel. If you have Jesus plus what you can do, it's not the gospel. The gospel is not about what you and I have done. It's about what Jesus has done for us. It's about his sacrifice upon the cross. It's about his righteousness that's been imputed to us through justification. It's about how he has redeemed us. It's about how he is sanctifying us daily. He's working in our lives. It's not about how much we've been trying to be good. It's about how good he is. And his goodness displayed on the cross of Christ. We are saved by God's grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. And we're to continue in his grace each and every day because our acceptance in the eyes of God is not found in what we can do for him, but what, in, in what he's already done for us through Christ, which is all grace God's unmerited favor. As other pastors in the past have tried to coin the term, that word grace could be God's riches at Christ's expense. To continue in grace. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Stand strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. Peter and his final letter he said to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ Jesus guys if grace is something that we point back to in the past we've missed something along the way grace is everything that God extends to us it's all grace 
These people were to continue in grace. And, and I think it's very interesting that this word of continuing, it was, a, it was an exhortation, but it was also a warning. Because this was going to be the thing that they were going to struggle with maybe the most. Of wanting to find their justification, wanting to find their righteousness and what they could do by the law. And I think oftentimes God will do the same thing with us. He'll be speaking words of exhortation that are also words of warning for us because he knows those places where we struggle the most and he wants to bring us to a place of greater stability. What are those things that maybe for you that God's been speaking to you, maybe it's been multiple times, don't disregard it. Those things he's been speaking into your life are the things that maybe he's seeing you're going to struggle with the most and he's wanting to fortify you so that you can stand and continue in the grace of Jesus. Continue in the grace of God, my friends. This was his word of exhortation and warning to these people. But there are more reactions and responses we're going to see throughout the rest of our text. So let's continue on in verses 44 and 45. Verse 44 says, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. It's clear to me from verse 44 that the Jews and Gentiles who heard and received the gospel the Sabbath before, and who had begun following Paul and Barnabas, they were a big part of why almost the entire city came together to hear the word of God. These newly saved people had been telling others in the city about what Paul and Barnabas had preached to them, and this word spread in such a way, this is before social media, this is before radio stations. If you wanted somebody to know about something, you had to, you had to tell them. You had to tell them about it. They wanted others to, to hear about the grace of God too. And so the word spread in such a way that almost the entire city came together to hear God's word. The grace these Jews and Gentiles had received was something they wanted others to receive as well. And so they, they told others with what limited knowledge and understanding that they had about Jesus. I mean, at the most, these people were a week old in the Lord. How much do you know in a week? How solid is your preaching in a week? I mean, you're, you're going off of just a little bit that you know. He said something about Jesus. I know that. He said my sins could be forgiven. I remember that one. He talked about this justification of things that the law of Moses could never justify us. I remember that. And what they remembered, what they had heard, what they had gleaned from their time of just following Paul and Barnabas during that week, they took those things and they, they shared them with others. I, 
I wish for myself, I wish for us that 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 hunger that we once had, that maybe we had when we first came to the Lord, that over time didn't dull. It didn't lose its, its, its fervor, its passion. But it does, doesn't it? it? It doesn't have to. It shouldn't, but it does. We grow so accustomed It just all becomes so familiar. The gospel starts to lose its power, not in true reality, but in how it impacts us over time because we just, we've heard it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, he forgave my sins. Yeah, he's justified me. We might not say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We might not dismiss it in that sort of way because we'd feel really unspiritual doing so. But how is that penetrating our hearts today? The things that we've heard and seen and experienced, the things that God's worked in our lives, are we just as excited about now as we were last week, as we were last year, as we were 10 years ago, as we were 30 years ago. And this isn't a, gosh, we all just stink, don't we? Sort of exhortation. This is a reminder that there is a freshness that can be experienced by you and me that comes just from abiding in Jesus Christ, there are things that Jesus is wanting to do, is able to do, is desiring to do, if we'll just kind of see where we're at and come back to the Lord afresh and say, Lord, I I just surrender all over again. Not that I need to be saved all over again, but Lord, that fresh work of your spirit, that fresh impact of your gospel, Lord, return it to me. Do that thing again, Lord. The thing that you've done in me in the past, do it again, Lord. Those areas where I've become just sort of dull and jaded, Lord, circumcise the hardness of my heart that might exist. These people were just excited about the Lord, and now an entire city almost is gathered together to hear the gospel preached. But while we see this exciting and powerful work of God in verse 44, in verse 45, we find opposition to the work that God was doing. As all these people are gathered together and Paul and Barnabas are sharing the word of God, we find that there's this group that's sort of dissenting in the midst of the preaching. I remember going and we we went uh, to... Uh, city team in Oakland. This is a f- several years back, and we did this church service for all of these homeless people who were on the streets of Oakland. Brought them in, and 
had time of praise. We're singing songs of worship. I shared God's word. And as I'm sharing God's word, this guy right in the front starts to contradict everything that I'm saying out loud as I'm preaching. And he kind of came from sort of a Rastafarian sort of angle. And so he's just saying these crazy things. And, I, and I'm just like, hey, man, like, cool. Let's talk afterwards. And he's just talking over me. And, but I, I think about that and, and like how distracted even that made me. And here's Paul and Barnabas, and, and they're speaking. They had this amazing opportunity. I mean, I don't know how many thousands of people were gathered together here, but they're all here. And here's this group who's just like, no, Jesus isn't the way of salvation. I mean, I don't know exactly what they're saying, but we are told they contradicted what Paul and Barnabas were preaching. They blasphemed the Jesus that Paul and Barnabas were preaching. That means that they were using slanderous or abusive sorts of speech against what Paul and Barnabas were declaring. These Jews who were bringing opposition were no doubt those who had heard Paul preach the week before and had rejected the gospel that they heard. And not only had they rejected the gospel, they were filled with envy, we're told, that this message of salvation was being extended to Gentiles, that almost the whole city had gathered to hear the word of God taught by Paul and Barnabas. They were envious of how the people of the city were interested in what Paul and Barnabas had to say. No doubt never had been there a time where the whole city gathered together to the synagogue to hear the ruler of the synagogue teach. Envy. Jealousy. And in their jealousy, their envy, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. They contradicted him. And guys, we can be sure that whenever the Spirit of God is working, whenever people gather to hear the Word of God, whenever the, there are souls of people at stake who are open to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and receiving His salvation, there will be opposition. It may not be as blatant as the guy in the front rows spewing all the Rastafarian doctrine might not be as blatant as a group of Jesus-rejecting Jewish people contradicting. But there is spiritual opposition any time Jesus is brought forward. Because the enemy opposes everything about Jesus. He opposes you and me because of Jesus. opposition's going to come. But I love it that there's so much victory because of Jesus. We have power because of him. Let's see how Paul and Barnabas respond to this opposition in verses 46 through 48. Verse 46 says, Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, We hate you! No, he didn't say that. He said... (laughs) It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. 
But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be, be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. Notice how Paul and Barnabas respond to this, to this opposition in verse 46. They responded with boldness. You know, in these days we're living in where our, our world is moving further away from the Lord and growing more and more opposed and hostile to the Lord. And those of us who follow Jesus Christ, boldness is needed. It's needed. But along with that, I want to clarify from what we see here in Paul and Barnabas's example and their bold response to opposition that we need to make sure that our, our boldness is a spirit-imparted, Jesus-honoring and representing boldness that's rooted in godly integrity and humility and that loves and values even those coming in opposition, desiring ultimately that they would be saved. Guys, clarity is needed because for some in the body of Christ, boldness today is actually a mask for rudeness. It's a mask for speaking the truth without love. It's a, it's a mask for disrespecting and devaluing others or you know what? Just plain acting out in the flesh. But it's called boldness. It's not boldness from the Lord at all. It's not honoring or representing the heart of our Lord at all. Paul and Barnabas were genuinely being opposed as they preached the gospel. And in their boldness, boldness they still spoke respectfully. They still responded in a spirit of humility and gentleness as love as they and love as they said hard things it was a boldness that kept doors open for the gospel and that honored and represented Jesus to both those who wanted to hear the word of god and even those who were opposing the word of god paul said it was necessary that the word of god should be spoken to the jews first because the gospel was first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. Now Paul said that since they rejected it, notice they rejected it, and since they judged themselves unworthy of everlasting life, that they were going to turn to the Gentiles instead. Notice Paul doesn't cancel them. He's, he's telling them that they canceled themselves. You're canceling yourselves. When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to receiving Jesus' free gift of salvation and eternal life, they rejected the gospel, and in their rejection, they were actually passing judgment on themselves that they were unworthy of salvation and eternal life. You know, it's a, it's a mind-blowing thing for someone to hear the good news of the gospel— 
to know what, what Jesus is offering, all of it free, all a gift of his grace, all of it undeserved by us and, and yet still extended out to us, and then to have someone judge themselves unworthy of everlasting life. And yet so many are in that same place, and it's tragic and heartbreaking. Since these Jews rejected the gospel, since they judged themselves unworthy of everlasting life, Paul and Barnabas knew that their mission had to continue and that there were others who would receive. So they made it clear that they were turning to the Gentiles. And Paul reinforces that in verse 47 by quoting Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, making sure that these Jews who rejected the gospel knew that it was the Lord who commanded this message of salvation to be taken to the Gentiles. And because God had commanded it, they were going to do what he said. Paul and Barnabas were being set, they were being appointed as a light to the Gentiles, just as Jesus was. Bringing the light of Jesus Christ to Gentiles in that place of of being in darkness and in bondage to sin and Satan. And they were becoming messengers of Jesus' salvation to the ends of the earth, fulfilling what Jesus had also spoken in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. God's desire to save was not only for the Jewish people, but for all people, desiring that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. If the Jews there in that huge gathering were offended by this, it wasn't because Paul and Barnabas were responding offensively to them, but instead, Paul and Barnabas left it to God's word to be the thing that might offend that God's desire to save any who would come to Jesus by faith would be that point of offense. So we see this confrontation take place in this massive gathering, but in verse 48, we, we see the results of how Paul and Barnabas had conducted themselves and how they responded. When the Gentiles heard what Paul and Barnabas had said, they were glad, they rejoiced. And we're told they glorified or praised the Lord and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And here we see God's sovereign hand at work. I like what William McDonald said about verse 48. He said, this verse is a simple statement of the sovereign election of God. It should be taken at its face value and believed. The Bible teaches definitely that God chose some before the foundation of the world to be in Christ. It teaches with equal emphasis that man is a free moral agent and that if he will accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he will be saved. Divine election and human responsibility are both scriptural truths and neither should be emphasized at the expense of the other. While there seems to be a conflict between the two, this conflict exists only in the human mind and not in the mind of God. But he went on to say, men are damned by their own choice and not by any act of God. If all mankind receive what is its just due, then all would be lost. 
But God in grace stoops down and saves some. Does he have a right to do this? He asks, of course he does. The doctrine of the sovereign election of God is a teaching that gives God his proper place as the ruler of the universe who can do as he chooses and who will never choose to do anything unrighteous or unkind. Many of our difficulties with this subject would be solved if we would remember the words of Charles Erdman, a Bible commentator. He said, The sovereignty of God is absolute, yet it is never exercised in condemning men who ought to be saved, but rather has resulted in the salvation of men who deserved to be lost. It's powerful. God was clearly doing something special and powerful in this city just through the simple preaching of the gospel. There there wasn't some laser show. There's not fog. They didn't have interpretive worship. They They didn't have like the craziest worship team that would blow Hillsong United out of the water like it's just two dudes just preaching the gospel. That's all this is. And you know what's interesting is that other in other places, and I think it's in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how his appearance seemed weak to people. So there wasn't even anything about Paul that you would have gone, oh, this guy's going to preach it. He didn't have skinny jeans on and a deep V-neck. And that's actually, that was like 10 years ago. Now it's different. It's like other things now. There wasn't anything about Paul that was like charismatic from his appearance. They thought other people's preaching was more weighty and powerful. They looked at Apollos and thought, ooh, that guy, he can preach. He can preach a house down. But Paul? Preach. Paul? They're like, dude, who is this guy? But Paul believed in the power of the gospel, that the gospel was the power of God to salvation for any who would believe, and he wasn't ashamed of it. He just preached it. Man, there's so much to to glean from that for us. You don't have to use any gimmick. You don't have to be somebody else that you're not. You don't have to put on some sort of charisma you don't have. Just give people Jesus. He's enough. This is what Paul and Barnabas did. And God was moving powerfully. As we'll see in our final verses, this work of God continued to spread even with persecution against Paul and Barnabas ramping up. So let's read these final verses Verses 49 through 52. Verse 49, And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women, and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. 
as a result of what we just saw takes place with the response of the Gentiles who believed and received eternal life. Verse 49 tells us that the word of the Lord was spread throughout all the region. And I, I love the emphasis throughout this whole passage of scripture this morning on the word of the Lord. If you go back and look, the word of God or the word of the Lord, the focus was on what God said. It was on what God did. This means that those who had believed him and saved were going out throughout all the region. They're spreading the word of the Lord so that others would believe too. Paul and Barnabas' boldness, an example of gospel proclamation, was, was contagious. It, it, it ignited boldness in those who had believed. These new Gentile believers couldn't keep the gospel message of Jesus to themselves, and neither should we. Each of us were called to be witnesses to Jesus in this world, in our day, just as these Gentiles and Jews were in their day. The word of the Lord was spreading, but the opposition went to a whole other level, as we see in verse 50. The Jews who had rejected the gospel, who had opposed Paul, stirred up, they incited some devout and prominent women, the, the chief men of the city. These were people with power and influence. They raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them. They drove them out from their region by force. And as they left, they shook off the dust from their feet against those who persecuted them and came to Iconium. This shaking off of the dust of their feet, feet as they left was actually something that Jesus told his disciples to do in Luke chapter 9, verse 5, and chapter 10, verse 11. The shaking off of the dust was to be a testimony against those who would not receive their message. It was a, a sign that they were moving on, which was a tragic sign because the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, had come near them but they would not receive Jesus as their king and savior. And yet, even with the dust shaking off thing, which is kind of seems might seem strange to us, this wasn't the end of their ministry in that area. Paul and Barnabas are going to come back to this city a little, little later on in order to strengthen the souls of the disciples here and exhort them to continue in the faith as we'll see uh, in Acts chapter 14 verses 21 and 22. They had been forced out in this moment, but their deep concern for the spiritual state of those who were now saved in this city are, is going to drive them to return regardless of any threat of danger that would come along with being back here again. But look at verse 52 with me one more time. It says, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. These people in this city who had believed in Jesus and received everlasting life, some Jews, but definitely a greater majority of Gentiles, were now called disciples. They're now one in Christ Jesus, the gospel breaking down those racial and ethnic walls that used to divide them. And these new disciples of Jesus, in spite of the opposition and persecution that they just saw Paul and Barnabas experience, they were filled with joy and 
with the Holy Spirit. Which tells us that being filled with joy, being filled with the Spirit, is not dependent upon our circumstances. They just watched Paul and Barnabas physically driven out of their city, and yet they're still filled with joy. I mean, these were the guys that were telling them about you. Now what do we do? We only got a week with them. Now what do we do? And yet they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. These are things that the Lord is desiring still to do today, to fill us with joy and with the Spirit. But I want to end our study with a final quote before calling the worship team come back up. Check out what Pastor John Corson said about these final verses. He said, In ministry and in life, he says, We will either shake it off or get shaken up. Those who shake off or shake the dust off their feet when an attack comes or when rejection hits will go on. Those who get shaken up will quit. I pray you and I will be those who, like Paul and Barnabas, shake off the dust and keep going in order that those around us might be filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. He's a King James Version guy. Holy Ghost. I think that's so good. Such a good reminder, such a good prayer for us today. I'm going to the worship team come back up. Uh, again, I want to ask us, what are we hungering after today? Not just what your plans are for lunch, but what are you hungering after spiritually? What's driving you? What are you passionate about? What consumes your thoughts? Is it what the media is saying? It's what, is it what some blogger is writing? Is it achieving some sort of goal with your with your career is it amassing some sort of following or influence of of people what is that thing what's the thing that we're hungering after today and if we're not in that or if we're in that place of not really hungering for the lord if we're not really passionate for the lord maybe like we once were then we gotta we gotta evaluate what we've been feasting on, what we've been seeking after. And we got to turn away from those things that aren't of the Lord, that are ruining our appetite for the Lord. But maybe you've been seeking after the Lord. Maybe you've, you've been desiring Him, but you've been lacking passion. You've been lacking that intimacy with the Lord. I encourage you to press into Him today. Ask Him to meet you where you're at and restore that freshness and passion and hunger for Jesus once again. Maybe for us today, in some ways, we've fallen from grace. Maybe not completely. But maybe we've been having a Jesus plus something else sort of practice in our lives where we've been trying to find God's approval by our own righteousness. Are we continuing in grace today? 
He wants to pour out his grace this morning. He wants to draw us near to himself, wants us to continue in his grace. Are we in need of boldness? And I would add to that, that right kind of boldness. Do we need to be filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit? He has what we need. And he wants to supply us with what we need so that we can live for him. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for, Lord, just things that oftentimes are reminders of things we've already known, we've already heard maybe a thousand times before. And yet, God, you remind us because you know that oftentimes we can be forgetful. Lord, I, I pray for us today, Lord. God, that our hunger would be the right kind of hunger. Lord, that our passion would be the right kind of passion. Lord, that our priorities would be the right things that we're prioritizing. Lord, that we wouldn't be feasting on lesser things. But that, Lord, we would be feasting upon you, tasting and seeing that you are good. You're good, Lord. God, if for any of us this morning we've been finding our acceptance maybe in our own righteousness, maybe it's, maybe it's judging other people on things that we're doing that they're not doing, or things that we're not doing that someone else is doing, Lord, would we not find ourselves in a place of self-righteousness, of self-justification, but Lord, of a place of humility, of a place of surrender, Lord, of, of, of standing in and continuing in and growing in your grace. And Lord, in these days, we need boldness. God, the right kind of boldness, not a boldness that's, that's just a mask for rudeness or fleshly sorts of reactions, but Lord, true boldness, spirit-imparted boldness, Lord, Jesus-honoring boldness. Lord, make us bold for you. Make us bold about your gospel. Lord, help us to, to just share you with others, Lord, to, to trust, Lord, that your gospel is the power of God to salvation for any who would believe. Just to give people Jesus. Jesus, you're enough. And God, we desire to be filled with joy and with your spirit today. Lord, fill us. And God, if there's other things we filled ourselves with that are keeping us from being filled with the things of you, then Lord, God, empty us of those other things, Lord. Help us to put away, to repent of those other things, Lord, that you might fill us to overflowing with more of yourself. God, minister to your people, Lord, where they're at today. God, you know where they're at. And if you're here today and you don't just first have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you've not had your sins forgiven.
your debt paid. You've not received the righteousness of Jesus Christ in, in your account. Maybe you've been relying upon your own righteousness to, to make you accepted in the eyes of God. That's not going to cut it. This morning, the Lord wants to save you. If you'll call out to him, if you'll put your trust in him and him alone, if that's anybody this morning, would you stand where you're at so I can pray for you? This morning, you would say, that's me. Jesus, I want your forgiveness. I want your salvation. I want everlasting life. I don't want to judge myself unworthy. If that's anybody at all. Maybe there's someone joining online this morning and that's you, or maybe you're listening to this later on, that's you. I just encourage you in your own heart to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. But Jesus, I believe that you're my savior. Jesus, would you save me? Forgive me. Would you justify me? Would you, would you make me righteous in the eyes of God? Would you give me eternal life? Would you save me today, Jesus? Would you write my name in the Lamb's book of life? Jesus, I repent of my sin and I turn to you by faith. I put my trust in you. I believe you died on the cross and that you rose from the grave. And Jesus, would you be my savior? Would you be my Lord? Would you be my God? I just encourage you as you've done that today, if that's you, that the Bible gives you confidence that if you do that, if you make that profession, if you believe genuinely in your heart that the Bible says you will be saved. The angels in heaven rejoicing that you've made that decision today. But Lord, as we now respond to your word in songs of praise and lifting up our hands, God, and raising our voices of maybe getting on our knees if that's something that you lead us to do. God, as we take of the communion elements, as we remember, Jesus, your body that was broken, your blood that was shed, Lord, would all of those things be an opportunity for worship, Lord, would be a time of communing with you. Lord, be honored, be glorified, be magnified in this time, but Lord, also in our lives individually. Lord, send us out today by the power of your spirit. Be glorified, Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.